Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Sioux Falls, South Dakota comedian Zach Dresch. If you want to hear two strangers bonding over punk rock, you've come to the right place. I should probably change the name of the podcast, but it's too late now. Zach plays drums in a dueling piano group, too. Also, we talked in December, and then like two or three weeks later, he was named Boss's Comedy Club Comedian of the Year. So if you ever wanted to win a comedy competition in South Dakota, I think you got to talk to me first. Zach is going to be headlining a show at Boss's Comedy Club on Saturday, January 30th. So if you're in the Sioux Falls area, make sure to see him there. If you're not, you can see him headline the On the Zoom Comedy Show on Saturday, January 16th. He'll be with Lewisburg, Williamsburg comedian Chris Jimmer and Spence Griffith from Los Angeles. Tickets are 5 bucks and available on Facebook, Eventbrite, or you can send $5 to Mike Peters Comedian on Venmo. It's all one word. You can also join the On the Mic with Mike Peters Patreon for just 5 bucks a month, and you'll get access to every show. All the links are in the bio below. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. I'll talk to you next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in Thank you so much for doing this, man. I, I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. I uh, I know people can't see this right now, but I love your record collection in the back of you. So... This is funny because uh, I reached out, and here's why I asked you to do this. Uh, it's completely out of pity. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I what I try to do um, since you know we went into like this pandemic mode, I've been able to connect with a lot of comedians from all over the place, and I'm trying to get at least one person from every state. So I was like, hey, South Dakota probably only has one comedian. <laughs> <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's crazy. We actually have a really budding, growing scene in com- in South Dakota. It's crazy. When I started about seven years ago, we only had about 10 of us, maybe. Really? And about five or six of us would show up to every open mic that we could. And the other four had families. So they kind of they show up when they could kind of a thing. But now we have about 20 to 20 to 30 and the 20 actually actively show up to every open mic and they bring their friends. So the open mics are actually very exciting to go to. Which is crazy. Yeah, that's that's like the inverse of what New York has. It's like like we get twenty comedians and then not one person brings a friend. It's because, just doing their sets and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think, you know, when you're a young comedian, you know, you're inviting people and they want to come and see you and then they realize that you suck. So they're like, <laughs> we're not we're not gonna give you any more of our time. So they bail and then, you know, three or four years later you're like, Oh, you know, I'm pretty good. Come back and see me. They're like, We're not falling for that one again. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's been crazy because it's just um, we we built it from the back ground up and just kind of we just kept persevering. We kept changing venues, comedy clubs kept opening and shutting down, and we're just. I think people tend to respect the fact that we just have not given up. We will not let the comedy scene in Sioux Falls rest. We're just going to keep going, and I think people respond to that how much work we put into it, and that's why I think we have so many comics starting. And uh, we kind of take them under our wing, the new people, and just kind of they grow themselves. And it's crazy to see how quickly they respond to everything. It took us forever, at least took me forever to become a better comic because we'd only do an open mic once every couple of weeks. Now we're doing about two or three a week at most. So it gives you plenty of opportunities to make your material better. And back when I started, it took a while to like really hone my material and be confident on stage because we have that that many breaks in between open mics. So, so with the geography of Sioux Falls, like I might be hard to believe, but I've never been to South Dakota. Really, I've been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been to Minnesota and uh, a couple times. My best friend lives out in Minnesota and uh, around Rochester. Mm-hmm. So. I'm going to guess that's five or six hours from you. Uh, Yeah, about four or five. Minneapolis is about four or five hours. Yeah, Yeah, he told me a story one time about his ex-wife had a friend. She got lost and was going the wrong direction. And I think she was living in North Dakota and wound up. I think she tried to get to Minnesota and wound up in Montana. And uh, how does that happen? (laughs) I have no idea. But it stuck with me because like like I'm a big Seinfeld fan. So you know, you go back and and like like do you know how big North Dakota is, stupid? Right. And so that's (laughs) that's all we can think. But like like how do you and then dumb and dumber, it's like you just drove a six six of the way across the country. country. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I know really nothing about the geography of, of Sioux Falls. Like, is there anywhere to go outside of, you know, your scene? Like, especially when you started or were you just kind of landlocked essentially? Well, it's kind of, it depends because there's a lot of areas in South Dakota and like North Dakota, especially they're just like small areas that don't have a lot going on. And so they want comics that are around the South Dakota area to come and perform in their small town. And so, like, they actually have just a small population. And if we show up and bring a show, people are going to come and see it in that small town because they got nothing else going on. So even when we perform in small towns, we feel like we're in the big time because, like, the whole room fills up. It's just this really cool kind of feeling like – or Iowa is another town that we perform – state we perform in all the time um, just because it's not too far from us. Like, Sioux City is about an hour and a half away from us. There's some great comics there, too. So it's just kind of a – a mixture of Sioux Falls is kind of like I've heard it referred to as the biggest little city of the country in the country. So it's like we have 200,000 people. It's a big city, but it doesn't feel like a big city, but it's also a big city. It's kind of like a, a balance of everything. So isn't that Reno's nickname? Biggest little, I think city? So. Biggest little city, probably. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or uh, uh, Tobias on Arrest Development. I made the biggest little mistake of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen Oz, but I just went through Oz and Tobias is one of the main characters. And I'm like, no, they're they're completely different characters. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) From Oz and Arrested Development. Yeah. Very different juxtaposition there for David Cross. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I I started to say, uh, so I went back and and I think you posted your Spotify list a couple days ago, maybe yesterday. Yeah. And so I went back and looked at your and I asked you uh, before then. And then I looked and your playlist was like Green Day, Motion City Soundtrack, Alkaline yeah. Trio, Weezer. And that's basically everything on my wall. Like, yeah. got, I think I you see, can see Motion uh, City. Yeah, Even If It Kills Me is one of my top five favorite albums of all time. Yeah, that's a great album. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's better than Commit This to Memory, uh, but I like yeah. that I like that art better. Yeah, I, objectively, I will say Commit This to Memory is probably the best Motion City album. But to me personally through growing up with that album even if it kills me is probably my top yeah uh, my dinosaur life rips though too god that album's good i'm convinced that motion city soundtrack and maybe your bias i mean they're from minnesota right. so like maybe you get more of them but like i think they're incredibly underrated yeah and i think i saw him at warp tour once and the he plays a synthesizer right he's not a pianist uh, uh they're, yeah their keyboardist jesse he goes whole, he goes all over the place on the keyboard yeah, and and he'll like uh he'll grab the the ends and he'll do like basically a handstand right. on the keyboard. It's amazing, and I yeah. think they, that was like a t shirt art for a while. Yeah, I've seen Motion City about seven eight times. I just saw them twice in February, right before the pandemic hit. No and kidding. I saw them in Minneapolis, and the second time, the second night was the best concert I've ever been to. And I've been to a lot of concerts. Uh, I was front row the whole time, and uh, at the very end of the night, I like made eye contact with Jesse, the keyboardist. And I'm like, set list, set list. And so he runs up to me and looks like he's going to hand the set list to the girl next to me. But then he hands it to me and I'm like, hell yeah, I took that set list. That's <laughs> <laughs> like stealing a foul ball away from a kid. Right, exactly. I felt no shame at all. <laughs> yeah, so my back wall, I just redid this office and my ex-girlfriend moved out and I was like, cool. Now I can have the room to myself again. Right. And... So I've got you can't you can only see I think from the picture you can see Lesson Jake yeah. the Offspring Bad Religion Money, Boss Boss is behind me and, and then right above is Dookie the Decline from No Effects the Wonder oh, Years yeah. Greatest Generation oh, yeah. Blink MXPX Brand New Harvey Danger even Against Me Midtown Something Corporate like there a ton of them all bands that I love the hell out of for sure yeah, yeah. it's hard. You know, I grew up in the 90s and, uh, you know, went to school, went to college in 2000s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would say between 92 and 2004, five, that's my sweet spot. And then, you know, you, you go back and you listen to Bad Religion and No Effects and Pennywise and, you know, right. came out all came out in the 80s. I don't think I can ever leave that era. I don't think I can either. I've tried, but it's really there's a lot of new bands that kind of do the same sound, but it's just not the same for me. You can tell it's just copycat kind of stuff. And it's just... I don't know. It's hard for me to really get into newer bands. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I think the the Wonder Years, I got into them about 10 years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And for my money, they're one of the only bands that I listen to now 
that I think could have kept up with people back then. Oh, and yeah. or like like who could have been in my top five back then. And I just I'm so impressed with them. The other band, I'm I'm sure you've heard of them, the Interrupters. Oh, the Interrupters are great. Yeah. Yeah. And they have like this really and it makes sense, but they've got a rancid feel, you know, because yeah, Tim it, Armstrong, I think, is producing. Yeah, basically female-fronted rancid. That's what I attribute yeah. them to. Yeah. Um, other two bands that I really like that are kind of waving the flag of hope for rock and punk rock is um, the Dirty Nil from Canada. Oh, uh, Canada's got great mans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and White Reaper. White Reaper's fantastic, too. Uh, White Reaper opened up for Motion City when I saw them in February, so I got to see them, and they, they blew me away. I've seen them three times in the last year and a half before COVID hit. So it's been, yeah, but Dirty yeah, Nail is great. I'll, I'll give them a listen. I think when I was in college, you know, I was in high school and Sum 41 hit. And then mm-hmm. there's another band. I don't know if they did anything really, but they were like a Sum 41 clone. They were Treble Charger. Not sure if I ever heard them. I'll have to check them out. They've got a good song. It's like 100 million or 100. I think it's 100 million. And, but it really, I mean, it's, it sounds very close to Sum 41. Mm-hmm. And in that video, Sum 41 is in it. So it's like they're not even trying to hide it. Right. Uh, yeah. And then uh, but there's a really good emo band called Cauterize okay. from Canada. I think they put out two or three albums and they've been gone for a while. But I think they're one of the best Canadian bands. And then Propaganda is pretty good. Oh, yeah. Propaganda. So, yeah. yeah. You know, they're they're OK. But they're decent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, th- I think they've got some staying power. Yeah. For uh, sure. But yeah, it's that, that dirty punk rock. I, I just love that feel. And. I'll get into like kicks where I'm like, oh, I, I need to listen to Mill and Colin today. For some reason, yeah. I need to listen to Mill and Colin. Uh, last night, I listened to uh, a podcast all about Question the Answers, the Boston's album. And I just, oh, yeah. I don't know, stuff like that will always stick with me. And what's funny to me is that when I started doing this podcast, I didn't know any other comedian around liked punk rock. And I would say I've interviewed about 70 people. I'm going to say about 20% of them, maybe 25, has roots in punk or, uh, you know, just grew up listening to it or were in a band. Does that surprise you at all? A little bit. I guess it's kind of – I always thought it would be more, to be honest, because one of my buddies in our comedy scene, he's more into, like, hardcore and uh, 90s kind of FU metal, like Pantera kind of crowbar, a lot of deeper metal bands that weren't huge but had an influence kind of – he likes the Melbans, that kind of thing. So it's kind of yeah. like he grew up in a lot of the heavy Seattle grunge stuff. So it's kind of a – that one's a, another outlier. And it's – I think a lot of the comics that I know in our town, funny enough, they'll listen to a smidgen of punk. Like I know one of my friends listens to Less Than Jake and Real Big Fish a lot. Yeah. And another one actually loves Avril Lavigne and he's not afraid to admit it. <laughs> like, <laughs> Good for him, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I never – I think I was too – I don't know if I was too old for her, but it was way too bubblegum for me. Sure. And I remember when she was dating Derek from Sum 41. Even that, I was like, she's fine looking. I'm sure she's a great person. I was like, how do you go from Sum 41, who's releasing pretty hard music, you know, for what it was at the time, to going to Avril Lavigne? Like, all right. (laughs) Let good Charlotte have her. Right. I've actually gone back and appreciated late thousands or early thousands, late nineties pop rock that was on the radio, like Eve six. And, um, yeah. What else, what else was those? Oh, lit. I love lit. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> like, cause it's just like, it's just really upbeat infectious melodies. That's what I'm a big fan of with, with that dirty exterior. Go back and listen to, Oh man, I just, just it lost. I, I lost it, but there's a, there's a band that starts with an E from the nineties. Uh, Everclear, yes. Thank you. Go back and listen to them. And I'll do that every once in a while. And obviously not very often because I forgot their name. But uh, (laughs) go back back and listen to them. And they've got hit after hit after hit. Yeah. And you almost wonder how they weren't bigger than they were. Yeah. I actually bought the Everclear Best of compilation. I never had like a regular album of theirs. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, I know this one. Oh, I know this one. I know this one. And a lot of people would probably be the same if they heard that album, that best of like front to back. It's like, oh, yeah. How is this not bigger for sure? Yeah. And I'll watch every video and I'm like, oh, my God. And and I think I had one single of theirs, but never bought an album. And I think it was back then I was like, well, I got to buy punk rock. And I don't know if they were or not. I, mean, I think they're just alternative. But, you know, I, I just didn't. I didn't do it. And which is such a stupid mindset. But I think when you're, you know, 18 to 
36 or something like that, wherever I am now, uh, you're just stupid and you know, you just can't get out of that funk. Yeah, for sure. I think I started with the 90s bands that had a hit single and kind of, if I liked the rest of their catalog, then they stuck with me. And if the rest of their catalog wasn't as good as that one hit song, I just wasn't interested. Because some bands, yeah. like, that hit is what they focused on, all their energy, and the rest of the album just sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> Who's your favorite band? Uh, probably Green Day. Mine too. Mine too. I And I think for, for a lot of the same reason is that I heard them in 94. Uh, it might have been, like, the beginning of 95. I heard Basket Case on the radio but uh, my buddy james he had the cd he had dookie and we listened to that and you know i was like well i think it's time to put my vanilla ice tape away yeah i i don't need this anymore you know and i I always thought it was funny that my sister was a big billy joel fan and i'm now a billy joe armstrong fan yeah (laughs) so it, it was it was just meant to be but nobody will come close to green day as far as like live show for me and yeah. I, I love 311 311 puts on a great live show but green day man there's something about them i don't love everything they they've been producing recently but i think every time everything up yeah. to american idiot's perfect uh, i do i think so too and everything afterwards there's hit it's hit and miss for me but i'm still a ride or die green day fan even if they put out a not great album i'm still going to be a fan so yeah i'm too far invested and yeah. there's no way like Green Day could cheat on me. You know, Billy Joe could be like, hey, I'm going to collaborate with Mariah Carey for a while. And I'd be like, you know what? Maybe I like her. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll see what it's about. I could get used to Mariah Carey. Like if I have to just look at her a little while, I'm like, all right, well, all right. right. Fair enough. What did you think of Father of All Motherfuckers? Didn't like it. Yeah. I mean, like it's probably unfair because I only listened to it once. I thought there were a couple of good songs on it. But I just don't want them to try new sounds, as dumb as that sounds, because American Idiot was new at one point. Yeah. And I just I'm not I don't know. I just I want the I want the three piece. I want Dookie, basically. Yeah. I want them to re-release Dookie every couple of years and I'll be okay with that. Yeah, I I get I get that. It's one of those things like I enjoyed listening to it because it's so different from what they had been doing. But am I going to revisit it a lot? Probably not. Like, yeah, Sugar Youth was a good song off that. Um, cause that one is the most green day song on the entire album and a couple others are pretty decent, but a lot of it's just like, what was this? Like this, if you had released this album 15 years ago when the hives were big, maybe you'd have a shot at having this be successful, <laughs> but like, I don't know what made them want to do the glam rock route now. <laughs> like, yeah. It just, it seems so weird. And I don't know. Like, and I was talking to a buddy of mine and, uh, like every time you think of green day in that nineties era, uh, offspring, you know, is it, they come up with them. And I was talking to buddy and I asked him is if offspring was underrated and I don't know if they are or not, but like there, I couldn't imagine offspring releasing, you know, what green day just did, yeah, you know, like yeah. they're, they're not going to change their sound that dramatically. No. I mean, offspring has had a couple of pop singles per album. Like they'll release like a couple songs just to kind of see if they can get radio play. But the rest of the album is more no frills, just punk rock offspring. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they always have their singles like "Pretty Fly for a White Guy" that obviously got huge. But yeah, then um, it's it's funny because you'll listen to that one; that'll be on the radio. Your friends will like it. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, did you hear "Beheaded" and yeah. "LAPD" and "Jennifer Lost the War"? Like, they started an album yeah. talking about how a woman was raped. Like right. that's that's almost the well, I don't know. Pretty fly for a white guy. That guy probably is sketchy. He probably right. you know left alone to his own devices was probably right. gonna, you know, roofie somebody. But right. like they're completely different songs and styles. So if you if you hook them in with Pretty Fly, hopefully they stay around for Jennifer Lost the War. You know, yeah. under, you know, dig that up. But I saw Offspring four years ago. And my least favorite moment of the night was when they played Pretty Fly for White Guys because everyone got their phones out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and but then, like right afterwards, they played genocide, and I'm like, okay, I'm back on board. <laughs> like, That's such a good song. I mean, every yeah. song off off self esteem or smash, every song off smash yeah. was you could have it could have been a hit. Like Killjoy Powerhead, yeah, is so good, and it, it's so fast. I think it's like a, a minute and twenty seconds or whatever it is. But God, it's just energy after energy. Nitro. Yeah, I habit. love that one. Yeah. Every time I was in a breakup or going through something, I would play Bad Habit. And and that would that would make me feel a little better. And uh, like I just be screaming, you know, out of the car or whatever. It's like the road rage anthem. 
Yeah. <laughs> you stupid, dumb shit, goddamn motherfucker. I, I used to manage a radio station in college, and uh, I played that song on the radio all the time, but we had to follow FCC regulations. So uh. I, just, I just bleeped, bleeped, bleeped that whole section because that made it way more cool. <laughs> <laughs> There's not one part of that phrase you can use. Maybe stupid, dumb, and then just cut the rest. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> It was stupid, dumb, blank, 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 go. <laughs> I think back and, and I remember uh, I played that. I blasted that at my parents' house. I was in the basement or we didn't have a basement. We had just the downstairs. But I had the window open that overlooked the front yard. And I can't imagine how loud it was. And yeah. they never came down and said anything. They taught music lessons. So like high school kids and middle school kids would come into the house all the time. And to just be blaring a, a song like Bad Habit or uh, Platypus by Green Day that's like all oh, yeah. obscene. How did they not kick me out of the house earlier? I'm curious how it took American Idiot for the parental advisory label to finally get stuck on a Green Day album because Nimrod had so many curse words throughout the album yeah. that never got the pure parental advisory label. I'm like, no, it, maybe, maybe it's that uh, you know they stuck so many on that one song. And they're like, like, and like Billy, Plat- Joe, Billy Joe mutters. So it's kind of maybe hard to tell. Yeah, that's true. Maybe, maybe they, they were offended by that song, but good riddance came on and they're like, oh, you know what? We forgot all about it. So yeah. we're just going to, you know, just replay it over and over again. So yeah, they, we want everyone skated. to buy this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, when I go back and listen to a band like No Effects and how fun in Blink-182, I grew up listening to their live album. Oh, yeah. You know, not to pull it back to comedy, but I think that's why, in part, people into punk rock gravitate toward comedy or the other way around. Right. It's like there's because like obviously like you take a song like Jennifer Lost the War and LAPD, like there are societal problems they're addressing. But you go pretty fly for a white guy or when you're in prison, which is another oh, offspring song. Yeah, you know, true. it's like you can laugh about that stuff, too. Like, I don't think punk bands take themselves so seriously, right. just like comedians don't or they shouldn't yeah. at least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that there's a good comparison of the two. And that's kind of what I growing up, I love punk rock. And that's probably why then I watched comedy at the same time. So I was growing up, I was listening to stuff that I really shouldn't have at my age. I, I think I bought Smash at the age of five or six. Oh, my God. How'd you have money? Oh, I just like I would go to CD stores with my parents and be like, I want this one. And my dad's like, OK, cool. <laughs> I, for a second, I completely forgot that, you know, parents buy their kids things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was um, I was born in 92 and uh, my parents were about 21, 22 when they had me. So they were into the 90s stuff in the same token. So it was kind of like, oh, this is something I'd like as well. I'll buy it for you. And so that's how that happened. So I'd get into that stuff because my parents were listening to it. It was a mixture of 90s grunge mixed with punk rock from the 90s so it was a mixture of everything i'm so jealous of that because i was born in 83 so you know i i could conceivably buy my own albums at the time but my parents they listen to classic music so i'm not going to sit around and and listen to like beethoven and bach and and souza marches or or whatever uh so i remember my dad i had to drive him to um you know he's a teacher i had to drive him to school one day and i've got 311 playing in my car He's like, what the fuck is this shit? And I'm like, if you would listen, you'd you'd hear a good drummer and a good bassist and all the elements of the music you like are in it. But, you know, there's a vocalist and uh, right. somebody who rock raps. So whatever. <laughs> like we never had that bonding moment. I remember my dad is a trumpet player and mm-hmm. I played, you know, I was in the jazz band, too. And right. and I played for him less than Jake thinking, oh, my dad and I are finally going to relate to something. <laughs> no, not, not even close. No. I'm like, no. I'm like, but like Jen doesn't like me anymore. You got to listen to this. Yeah. He's like, he's like Mike, nobody likes you. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I think it was like I, I remember some of the albums that I'd purchased that my parents were just like, oh, I don't think you should buy this right now at my age. Like, I think I got Tenacious D at a really young age, too. <laughs> They'll corrupt you right away. Yeah. And the lyrics weren't in the CD, so they didn't know. <laughs> I bought a Bare Naked Ladies CD once, and my dad objected to that because of the title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the same bag, I had Nirvana's Nevermind with yeah. a naked baby on it, and he was cool with that. And I'm like, well, one of us has a problem here. 
Right. And I don't, I don't know who it is, but uh, and my I, money's on you. Yeah, I love Bare Naked Ladies, but they're a very soft, safe band. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like this song has if I had a million dollars, Dad. Like right. that's that's a goal. Yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, think, I think Nirvana had raped me and Bare right. Naked Ladies had if I had a million dollars. Right. So quite different. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. What got you into comedy? Well, I had grown up watching Comedy Central as a kid, much younger than I should have been watching it. I watched <laughs> Like my favorites were Mitch Hedberg, uh, Nick Swartzen, early Dane Cook. I still kind of like Dane Cook, but not as much as I used to. I think everybody says that. Yeah, everyone kind of says that at this point. What else? Who else? I, Weird Al has been as my spirit animal forever because I do a lot of music parodies on stage, like kind of joke parody kind of things. So I kind of got that from Weird Al. And what else did I watch a lot? Like or Zach Galifianakis, any Comedy Central Presents special that had me rolling i was all about it and i used to watch snl i still watch snl all the time so i'd see all the comics that were on there and that always got me into it and in college i was in college for a theater degree and i knew i wanted to entertain i just didn't know how or what i wanted to do and so junior year we were at a theater festival where we compete doing scenes with actors and to compete with students around the region and there was an open mic night and I told people that my group of people at college I was with, I'm like, I think I might try stand up. They're like, yeah, go for it. I mean, yeah, it's, this is an opportunity to do it. And I think my first crowd was like 200, 300 people. <laughs> no shit. So it's like, oh, it actually went really well. So, yeah, it was it was fun. And then I hit up uh, Nathan Holtz is our kind of our we consider him the godfather of our comedy scene because he's been doing it for 10 years. And he has always found ways to propel us and make us better. And always he's been like our even though he's only three or four years older than me, our big papa of our comedy. scene, And so I hit him up and he told me about the comedy club that was doing comedy. Uh, And so I just show up to open mics whenever I could. And uh, the rest is pretty much history since then. I've just been doing comedy in Sioux Falls since about 2014. And whatever venue we do, I just do it. It's been an interesting road, but it's been it's been a lot of fun. I have no interest in quitting. I will say <laughs> I will say, though, that this year has been really tough on me trying to write because I thought when the pandemic hit, I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm going to write so much material. Um, so when when things go back to normal, they won't know what hit them. And I barely have anything written. And I still yeah. do, I still do open mics, but it's mainly old material that I haven't that I just didn't flesh out, but I decided to flesh out. But I just don't feel that great about it a lot. Of the, I don't. I wish I could write more, but I'm still I'm still stuck in that funk. Yeah, I've been writing the entire time, and I think what I've had to do is I've done a lot of Zoom stuff, which is good and bad. Like I, it'll screw up your timing a little bit, but for me, you know, it's it's good for networking. It's definitely kept me writing. And right. that's my favorite part about it. And, you know, getting to talk with people, being able to expand the podcast and everything. And that's been great. Like, there's a lot of benefits to it. But the writing part for me, like, I feel like I have to. We have an outdoor mic. Or we had an outdoor mic in the summer. It's now gone indoors. But, you know, it's still small. But shows have, have not. I mean, we had like three shows, four shows since March. So, you know, yeah, we're pretty much shut down. And a lot of comedians are in there where where it's like we're not writing because we're not performing. On a show. So what's the point? So I had to avoid that. Like, I'm certainly not the godfather of the scene, but I run an open mic. I run the only open mic in Binghamton, New York. Mm -hmm. So I produce a lot of shows when things are going on. So I feel obligated to keep going Mm -hmm. for anybody else. And that's helped me, too. So I don't if I didn't have it's not pressure, but if I didn't put the pressure on myself to feel like, okay, I have to do this for them. I'd probably be the same way. Yeah. Like, no, you know, I don't find this funny. I'm not funny. And I'm just going to go back and watch Oz again, you know, because yeah. <laughs> because that that seems like a much more realistic spot for me. You know, I might wind up in prison. I'll be at Oz. I got to I got to prepare because it's way more likely than I'll go on stage at a comedy club. Right. Yeah. And I, I for the first few months of the pandemic, I was doing uh, virtual shows and it was fine, but just was not the same. No. Uh, I did. I think I did an hour set on a virtual mic, and that was like, oh. <laughs> how did how how long did that feel? Uh, it felt long. It was fun though because we did the virtual set. I had about four or five people in the in the, in the audience watching, so that helped because they were laughing. So it kept me energized. Yeah, but it was a long long process. It was good, but it was. 
I want the full crowd, not just like four or five people. It's definitely different. And because you've been, has South Dakota done anything like you still have the mics? You still yeah. have a couple of shows like did they shut down at all? We shut down from March to June. OK, and we all came right. back in July just with open mics and then just kind of built it up from there. Now we have comics from Minneapolis that still want to come down and do shows pop in. So we do weekend shows and we do like local showcases because a lot of touring comics are not doing anything right now. So we'll do like a local showcase where four or five comics from our city are doing 10, 15 minutes sets a piece for an hour and a half long show, that kind of thing. So that's been good. That's been a lot of fun. And um, some of us, I'll be headlining in January at our home club. So that'll be fun just to kind of hopefully late January will be a little more optimistic as far as the world goes. So I can actually get more people to come instead of people that are just going to be like, you know what? I'm just going to stay home. I'm just going to stay home. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because Pennsylvania has a little more relaxed rules about the pandemic than New York. So I think of Pennsylvania as like a speakeasy. Yeah. You know, like, like we're like, okay, well, New York isn't allowed to do comedy. I'm going to go to Pennsylvania. Like I have, I have a show coming up there and like, I'm hopeful that it's going to happen. Right. And, but I'm really, I don't think it's going to happen. So I I'm guessing that people in Minnesota or Iowa or North Dakota, well, North Dakota is probably in the same boat with you, but like, they're like, okay, well let's go for the weekend. And, uh, We'll be in five days of shit, but at least we'll have fun on the weekend. Right, exactly. And it's been a it's been a crazy year because actually I don't just do stand up comedy. I've been busy doing a lot more other things, and actually I'm busier than a lot of people I could say this year because I I'm in an improv troupe, and uh, we we took a year we've taken the year off because there's about seven or eight of us in the troupe, and they all have families with like two or three children, and they just don't want to mess with it. And so I'm in a dueling pianos group. I play drums, and so we play covers for like three hours. I'll request and interact with the crowd, that kind of thing. So that one, that group, it takes my love of music and my love of comedy and improv and mixes it together into one show. And so that's kind of been one of my most ideal places to perform because it's kind of like, oh, you're just playing stuff you know and having fun with the crowd. So that's right. a really fun situation. Do they request anything or? Oh, yeah. You yeah. Just, it's, okay. it's, uh, actually, we're at the mercy of the crowd most of the time. We basically say, hey, write down what you want us to play and we'll play what what you want to hear. So it's very much... We don't have a set list. We just say, hey, what do you want to hear? And we'll figure it out. Is that easier for you? No, full disclosure, I wanted to be a drummer my entire life. And my dad plays trumpet. My mom plays clarinet. And, you know, they're both music teachers, so they can play everything else. But when they were assigning instruments when we were in fourth grade, I said, I want to play the drums. And my dad says, no, you want to play the trumpet. And I was like, <laughs> I was like no, pretty sure I want to play the drums. So... Play the trumpet, horrible. Fifth grade came around. I want to try the drums. No. I'm like, all right. So every year I want to play the drums. I, I would play the drums, uh, you know, when nobody was looking, but I forgot, like, you can hear the drums. So yeah. my, my dad would be like, he's like, Mike, get away from those. And, I'm like, <laughs> and like, so I've always, I mean, I'm playing, you know, drums in my car on the, on the wheel. Like, I yeah. fucking love them. So I know nothing about drums, though. Are you in an easier position when they're saying, hey, figure out this song? Because you pretty much just have to, you know, go on the twos and fours and, and do the fills and everything. Pretty much. Um, yeah, I know most of the songs that people request, like there's Sweet Caroline, there's okay. Piano Man, all that stuff I know pretty well. It's the, Sometimes I get oddball songs like I don't listen to Lady Gaga. Um, I don't listen to, like, like we said, I'm a punk rock kid, so I don't really listen to the top 40 that's going on right now. I should, yeah. I should more. So I know how the drums go for those songs. So I can just be like, Oh, got it. Okay. But most of the time it's not a challenge for me because most of the time the stuff that people request, I'm all about it. And the people in, that I play with, they grew up in that background too. So they love blink One Eighty Two. They love Nirvana, that kind of stuff. So if we can make it work in pianos, we'll make it work. <laughs> <laughs> Do they even have drums in those songs, like on the radio? I, I'm in the same boat. I yeah. don't listen to pop stuff anyway. And so I just think, oh, they push a button and that's it. And that's probably not how it goes, but it's just how my ignorant brain says so. You can do doing piano shows without a drummer. But um, my friend Nick, who's in the group with me, he said, I want Zach in our group because he can play drums and he does comedy and knows all these songs. So that way he can react with the crowd while – Michael and I are discussing what song to play next, that kind of thing. Oh, that's thing. perfect. So I'm kind of the buffer while they're figuring stuff out. And then I just play along and help add to the sound. So it's kind of just like we all balance bounce off each other on stage. 
And so that's what keeps things fresh and fun is uh, I'll just riff with the crowd and ask them how their day's going and what do you want to hear? And I'll just assume they want to hear scorpions and uh, (laughs) (laughs) that kind of thing. Oh yeah, we got it. Okay. I've got it queued up. (laughs) (laughs) Now does, does that help you with stand up too? Yeah. And, uh, and vice versa, because I just, I, I'm more natural on stage now doing stand up than I used to. I had like a eureka moment, like doing improv got me more comfortable on stage doing stand up because improv, it's just you out there. You don't have prepped material. You're just making up stuff as you go. And so I was doing improv and realizing, oh, I can translate how I'm feeling doing improv to stand up. And I just use, I treat stand up like it's a conversation with the crowd. So right. I, and because like half, most of the time, the trick of doing stand up is acting like everything you've written five years that if it's five years old material is fresh off your mind. You kind of just ha- it's like a magic trick in a way. And so I just kind of treat it like a conversation with the crowd. And that's what keeps me excited about doing the old material as much as tired as I am of half of it. Because like doing our sets, you kind of have to do that old stuff because it's like it's the tried and true material. Right. So, yeah, when I was starting, I I got in this like Mitch Hedberg. Uh, Dimitri Martin, oh, Stephen Wright. Yeah. I love doing the one-liners, and, and I don't do a whole lot of them anymore. I'll write one-liners and then figure out where to put them. Like right. you know, doing one-liners taught me how to write a punchline, mm-hmm. so that was perfect. But I I'll rewatch a set from a while ago, and I look at myself I'm like, wow, you were pretty robotic, and yeah. like it was easy to tell that you were trying to figure out how the words go in order. And then now when I'm doing like a you know I'm not I'm like, I guess I'm a storyteller a little bit, but it's so much more conversational. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think it's so important to be that way because yeah, it's like, Oh, this just came to you or, you know, maybe he's saying it for the first time or, you know, he's working on something, but it, you know, I don't know. It's just, it, that's how I always felt about Louis CK. Like, mm-hmm. like you say whatever you want. He's a, he's a fucking genius. Yeah, yeah. And you know, he was able to play it off. Like this just came to his mind. So we're hearing it. Nobody else will ever hear this. I mean, not how we're hearing it now. Yeah. And, but you know that for the most part, he had done that yesterday. So, yeah. you know, he was doing it every day and it always seemed new. And George Carlin would write all his bits on note cards and memorize yeah. the hell out of them. And just like, yeah, that was crazy that I read about that too. And I'm just like, holy cow. Yeah. Carlin wrote everything and he would, he would go on stage with, I mean, not for his HBO special or anything, but he would go on stage. It kind of, Mike Birbiglia does the same thing now. They'll bring out notes after notes and go back and, okay, this worked. And I don't know if Carlin made notes or like adjustments to his notes, but Bigley does. Mm -hmm. And uh, I saw him work doing, it's called working it out. And uh, I saw him doing that. And it was really, it was interesting to see that this really well-known guy who's got, you know, Netflix specials and movies go on stage in New York City and say, hey guys, uh, help me figure out all this material because I don't know if this is good or not. And I'll let you help decide it right and it was it was basically you know an open mic that we paid you know 15 dollars to see yeah. so you know but it's perbiglia so you know it's that cool. guy can do it yeah. oh yeah yeah and then when you see the special on tv or you know i saw him at the syracuse funny bone it's like oh yeah i, I remember laughing at that when it was honestly one of the first times he's ever said it yeah so you know you feel like hey i helped yeah i guess another one of my favorite comics is steve well steve martin because I love stand-up, but he took stand-up and made fun of stand-up and that structure of stand-up. And I just love how it's how he does that. And so I try to take that in my act as well and kind of just do – I do one-liners in a little section of my set. They're called the groanies because I know how bad these jokes are. You're <laughs> going to have to suck it up and deal with it. And it's actually gotten to a point where every time I tell them on stage, audience gets excited. And so I'm like, I, oh, I've got a thing. I've got a gimmick that works in my set. And so I, I just have to buckle up and get them. I have to get merch shirts that say the Gronies. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> I will. Do you have any merch at all? Nothing right now. No. Yeah. I have an idea for a couple things, but, you know, I named my podcast after myself and like, like over my, my right shoulder, I've got a picture of myself on my wall. Like, yeah, yeah. I think like that's a pretty deep level of narcissism. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can go the merch route but i have one for a joke i've got wrote the joke a while ago it's a based on true story that i was walking through walmart and i heard these employees talking with each other and my buddy fat mike after you know no effects uh Mm -hmm. we were talking and uh we saw these people the one employee said to the other gonorrhea ain't nothing to clap about (laughs) 
like, like that's all we heard. So I said that on stage in Pennsylvania, and somebody yelled out, "That should be on a shirt." And I was like, "I was like, you know what? That should be on a shirt." So that's one of my ideas, and I think if I did any merch, it would have to be something really wild and stupid like that. I'd have to convince people that I'm not taking myself too seriously. Right. Exactly. For sure. I, I, and also, I think in a, as far as making a merch shirt, <clears throat> I have to look at it as a, as far as when I do a show, are are people going to want to buy this shirt right after the show? Right. And that's the real question. Because if it's just a throwaway shirt idea, why even pitch it? You know, because I feel like the Gronies are one of my parts of the set that I, I enjoy doing. The audience, as far as I see, enjoys it. So it's like, oh, maybe I think they'll buy this shirt so I can actually make some money once more regular gigs come about on the road. Because yeah. like I've had comic friends say, I make more money in merch than I did on the show, period. And it's oh, like, yeah. like, oh, yeah, I made 200 bucks in shirts and 100 bucks doing this gig in this small town. And it makes sense psychologically. But what I've heard is that if you have a CD out, don't even say $10. Say, pay what you want. Yeah. And they're like, they're more apt to give you 20 than they will give you two. So, you, you know, you'll you'll win on that deal. Right. Exactly. So who else did you grow up listening to? Um, Dimitri Martin. Who else? Oh, Conan O'Brien. I love Conan O'Brien so much. He's not a yeah. comic, but his style has been so transcendent to what I, I love doing. It's just that self-deprecation is so classic and so good. Yeah. I said it before, like, I forget how much of an influence he is to me, to everybody. Yeah. Because... Like, I, I remember, you know, and I, I'm older than you, but when his show was new, I was watching it. And, you know, I can't say I've seen every episode, but the stuff he was doing was just, you know, and to, to go cliche, it was it was punk rock at the time. Like, yeah. he's like, he's like, fuck you. I know I'm at 1230. His whole essence was nobody's watching the show anyway. So yeah. let's just have fun. And people like uh, Paul Rudd will go on that show and every time. And he's got this Mac and me bit <laughs> and these, these long running deals. And oh, I just I can't get enough. And Norm MacDonald, oh, Conan, God. like like if you if you can watch Norm MacDonald with the moth joke on Conan and not love both of them. Yeah, I, I don't have any use for you. Yeah, and it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Conan, like even if the guest was really dull, he'd just make it such a fun interview yeah. and yeah god every time paul rudd was on there paul's like oh, i feel like we just filmed that yesterday yeah yeah if anybody's listening to this uh, mac and me conan youtube and yeah. it's like a six minute clip and it's got almost all of them and i saw one the last one they did i uh, forget the movie now it might have been ant-man and the wasp or something and i think it was but, like, it, the um, uh, his Netflix show too. He did it on that. Oh, you're right. That's the one. That's the one. And I saw it live, you know, and right. Cause there were, there were two Mac and me's, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and God, I, I, it felt like it was a pay-per-view event. Like, Oh my God. Like, like I'm, I'm back at like, I'm an eight year old watching wrestling again. And right. I'm like, Oh my God, Mac and me is on Paul Rudd. <laughs> like, like, come on, go over here. Jeff, get over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just love it. I love, love it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Conan's huge um, for me. And actually, I love the TV show Friends and I love Matthew Perry's delivery of yep. jokes as Chandler. Just a sarcastic asshole. Yeah. I just love that character. So it was also part of it. So sorry, I got I to get a cat off my my screen here. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I always, you know, always I love cat. recording. I love recording the podcast and I absolutely have no no complaints with it. Uh, and I love my cats, but I would say every other episode, my cat Dennis will jump on the keyboard and they know to hit the right button. Like the yeah. right button for them is the wrong one for me. And he'll mute it or something like that. And whenever I can intercept him before he does anything horribly wrong, right. I feel like I won. Like like we can hang up and I'll feel like a winner all day. Right. Like Because I, I prevented one disaster. One cat from doing some, yeah. some bad stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was – you probably didn't deal with this because you, you probably got into Friends after it was off the air. I was too young to be watching it on the air, but I watched it on the air. Yeah, so yeah. there was an issue where if you were a Seinfeld fan, you couldn't be a Friends fan. Like there was a riff, and there still is, but like there was a, an absolute – like if if a Seinfeld person saw you talking about Friends, they're like, fuck off. It's like yeah. a – you know, like you were excommunicated from the Church of Seinfeld. Right, and. Yeah. 
like it's it's it was scary times. I mean, very scary. But uh, <laughs> uh, I love I love Friends. I love Seinfeld, and any show that can consistently make me laugh, I'm good. And Matthew Perry is great in that. He's the absolute comic relief. There's a scene where. I think it's the best scene they have where Matthew Perry and Jennifer Aniston, you know, they're uh, fighting over cheesecake. Uh, you know, it's just deliver them. And Chandler and Rachel are, you know, they're like, oh, we're not going to take this one, whatever. Well, they fight over the last one and it falls into the hallway floor. Mm-hmm. And then they're on their hands and knees eating cheesecake. And Joey comes over and he just <laughs> he just goes into his shirt pocket, a coat yep. pocket. Pulls out a fork and says, "What are we eating?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "That's great writing." Yeah, that's a great scene. Just like you never know what's gonna like you, the normal person. Be like, "What are you guys doing?" But he's just like, "Right, grabbing." <laughs> but it's like he's got an emergency fork. Like you never know. And I just I love that little aspect of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, a lot of even Joey for sure too. Like a lot of that stuff. Uh, Joey and Chandler especially were big influences. On me, I, I do really love Seinfeld, but since I watched Friends first, Friends takes the cake for me, pun intended. Yep. Uh, yep. But um, yeah, it, it's one of those things. It's kind of also kind of like a if you're either a Green Day or a Blink One Eighty Two fan. I've heard yeah. that too. I'm bold. Yeah, but. yeah. For me, Green Day is always first, and I don't think Blink got together until about ninety two. Green Day had two albums by that point, and they didn't break it big. But yeah, I, I, without Green Day, there'd be no Blink One Eighty Two. You know, yeah. like and also like, with Green Day, Green Day had two monumental albums that were that stood the test of time with Dookie and American Idiot. Blink really only had Enema of the State and everything else sold well. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But Enema of the State's the only album of theirs that I think everyone knew about. Yeah. Well, you know, they get mutt on American Pie. Yeah. And that helps. And I think God, I think uh, I forget which song was on American Pie too. I think it was off Enema of the State. Oh, was it First Date? Anthem Part Two, maybe? God, I can't remember. No, you're right. It was Anthem Part 2. I think it was, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I will say that I wasn't a big Cheshire Cat fan because it was too raw for me. Yeah. Tom's voice is a little too nasally in that album. But Dude Ranch through the self-titled album, Flawless Discography. Yes. Uh, Dude Ranch caught me first. And, you know, they had Scott Raynor on drums. So yeah. imagine, I, I don't know, but imagine Travis Barker on Dude Ranch. Yeah. God. I mean, that would have been amazing. But the song like Dick Lips and Apple Shampoo, I think, is the best Blink-182 song I've heard. And it's my favorite, at least. And it will always be. And, uh, you know, you got, you got Damn It. There's a reason they close every show with Damn It. Yeah. I mean, they they hit it big in like 97. You know, yeah. that that song, they're like, fuck it. We can't. We're not. We're never going to beat this song. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think so, at least. Yeah. And I think that's the song that ties every era. It's so weird to say every era of Blink-182 fan. Like, we probably have two or three of them. But right. I, I just. They're strong. And, and like Dude Ranch is on my wall as well, right next to Green Day. So there you go. if there is a fight, I guess I'll see it on my wall. Maybe yeah. they won't get along. And I've seen Blink three times now. For, first time was with Tom. That was the uh, Neighborhoods tour. And um, they played the half of the party song on stage trying to figure it out because Tom couldn't remember how to play it. <laughs> but Mark kept trying to get him to play the party song throughout the entire show. Like, let's, let's just play party song. Let's just play it. <laughs> and uh, they played half of it. Then Mark goes, I can't remember the rest. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're a trio fan too, right? Oh, yeah. Huge trio fan. Yeah. So what do you think about Skiba going to Blink? I was excited about it. I know a lot of my friends hated it because they didn't want Tom replaced. But yeah. I feel like the, the best person you can replace Tom with is Matt Skiba. Well, he almost – when you hear the first album that they came back with him, he sounds like Tom. Yeah. I could hear so, that. Yeah. My biggest fear, like I knew Blink was going to be fine. My biggest fear was if Alkaline Trio would take a huge hiatus or break up or whatever because of it. Because yeah. I feel bad because Alkaline Trio is like the one band I really forgot to put on the wall. Yeah. And, you know, now I have to like get more wall space somehow and, you know, put Good Morning on the wall. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want Alkaline Trio to go away. Yeah, me neither. That, that was my fear. Yeah, I was. I'm, I'm still to this day a huge trio fan, and I'm glad that um, they put out an album after the Blank reunion because I, I loved "Is This Thing Cursed." I thought that yes. was a great album, and I think Matt is Matt has no plans to leave Trio or the Blank. So it's kind of like I, I wonder if Tom will ever join Blank again. I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm not sure. Probably, probably. Yeah. Uh, Angels and Airwave went a little pop too, so yeah. you know, I I think that's probably 
there there's a lot of reasons for their rift, I guess, with Tom and Mark. But my guess is their musical tastes were falling apart a little bit. Because I remember when I was in college, I think they were talking about electronic drums. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, why would you do anything to take away from Travis Barker? Yeah. Like just like fuck around with the guitars all you want, the bass, guitar, do whatever. But Travis Barker is about perfect. Yeah. So stay away. Exactly. And I I think it's one of those things that. Like I think Skiba is I love Skiba. I think he's just a placeholder until Tom decides to come back. It's, and it's a damn good placeholder, you know. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me. And I, I don't think Skiba would be upset. You yeah, know? Skiba like, knows the legacy of the band is Tom, and he goes, "I'm just here to play with my friends." And right, and it's just good exposure for him as a musician too. You can't fault him for it. <laughs> and I would imagine that if your fallback plan is Alkaline Trio, okay. you're okay. Yeah. I'm jealous of Skiba because he gets the best of both worlds. He gets to sell out clubs and arenas. It's like that's I'm jealous of that because he's just like you get to do experience the smaller club life and the arena life. So you get to just do the huge thing and the small thing. It's like, oh, all the small things. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's just really I think I'm jealous of Skiba in that regard. <laughs> like, no, for sure. Uh I love Carlin. I'm a huge Carlin fan. I love Sandler and I love all these comedians. But I think if you could tell me to pick one person to emulate, if I could trade places with one, any one person, do you know who Scott Radinsky is? Uh, yes, I think. Yeah. Sounds he, Yeah. He's the lead singer of Pulley. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he, w- I think he started the band 10 Foot Pole as well. Okay. But he was also a major league reliever for the White Sox and the Dodgers. And he is a pitching coach now, I think in the Indians organization. So that dude got to tour with Pulley and 10 foot pole do warp tour He's a punk rock God at that point, you know, at least for those nights. Yeah. And then he was able to go on the road and pitch for the Dodgers. Wow. And it's like, like, how do you, for me as a baseball fan, I'm like, I can't, I can't think of uh, a marriage of two things that are more perfect than that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Cause I had heard like uh, Jamie Josta from hate breed, would like host Headbangers Ball and then and like f- get in a plane and fly to do the next Hatebreed show that same day. Like he do that constantly. It's just like, how do you do that shit? <laughs> like, I guess like like being a comedian and having another job. I guess that's similar. Yeah. I mean, obviously to a lesser extent. Like my hours are always fucked up because you know I'm at a show until one, and you know, or I'm on the road and I come back and then I've got to you know pretend to be of service at work or whatever. Yeah. It's like, uh, like pandemic for me is like, Oh cool. We can, we can sleep now. I, yeah. uh, I like sleep. I, I forgot all about it and I'm, I'm willing to try it again. Yeah. 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 For me too. It's like, I do customer service work. So it's like, yeah, eight to five is the customer service thing. And then nighttime comedy or music or whatever. And so it's like, I have many hats that I put on. <laughs> do you remember your worst set you've ever had? Uh, yes. About three years ago. My buddy Nate Holtz and I were doing a show in a small town in Iowa called Ida Grove, and it was full of. That cats. sounds made up. It's not. It's not, but it sounds like it is. Uh, okay. Every building was shaped like a castle. I shit you not. And uh, <laughs> we, we were supposed to perform for uh, this family, her husband's uh, surprise birthday party. And so we showed up to the venue, to the place, like an hour or two before it's supposed to happen. We checked out the whole place. Looked great. Excited to do it. And uh, there was a wireless mic. I'm like, okay, cool. We can wander around, do some jokes and stuff. And uh, that's fine. And uh, as soon as the husband shows up, everyone yells, surprise, and all that stuff. And as soon as he gets there, hey, husband, sit down for a second and watch these two people you've never met in your whole life tell you jokes for an hour. Oh, no. (laughs) And uh, no one laughed at anything at all. And I think – and the wireless microphone did not work. Uh, and so we the the plan was after the comedy, his son's high school band was going to play all their 90s and early 1000s covers. And so we had to borrow their microphone that was wired and you had to stand in the corner and tell your jokes. And so I did like a, I was supposed to do 20, 25 minutes. I did 10 because I was just giving up so fast. And I think I even said during the set, this is a train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so I, I that was bad, and I left the stage. And he, Nate Holtz is one of the best comics I've ever seen in my life. One of the funniest dudes, and he was supposed to do like forty five. He did about twenty twenty five. He gave up. Quit. I, he, he'd probably say something different, but no, I went fine. Uh, but yeah, yeah. But we gave up pretty quick. And the most offensive part was to me how much 
the high school band butchered bullet with butterfly wings by the smashing pumpkins. That was the one. Oh no. And they played seven nation army with four people. I'm like, excuse me. There's two people in that band. There's two people. in that band. <laughs> And so we got paid and, uh, we left learning a lot from that experience, but it was very rough. God, that was a rough show. That was like three years ago, four years ago, something like that. Well, it, and you were already a couple years in anyway. So like, yeah. do you think having that experience helped you rebound from the show? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. It, it made me stronger for sure. It also made made for a great bombing story for podcasts like this one. So <laughs> it's like you want you actually want those bombing stories, you know? Yeah, I ask that question to everybody because I'm convinced that nobody really wants to hear about a show that went well. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, yeah, we know, like, I think of comedians, at least I used to, as having this glamorous life. And then I figured out that, oh, there are local comedians, too. Like, there are people who want to have that glamorous life, but also need to work hard to get there. And then even those guys who are on top have shitty nights. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's that's the relatable part of comedy to me. It's like you don't go to an office every day and have a perfect day at work. Yeah. Like you fuck up sometimes. And I can't imagine going to an office, coming back and say everything went really well today and yeah. having somebody say, oh, awesome. Tell me about it. No, my grandma, I would call her. And if I didn't have some story about how something went horribly wrong for me, she'd be like, well, all right, call me next week. Let me see if you got anything better. Because she she wanted as as much as I think my grandma likes me, she wants me to be in pain a little bit for her enjoyment. Right. And I think those bombing stories are there for that. Like I hope nobody ever forgets the time they bomb because man, you're gonna you're gonna be relatable, you're gonna make people yeah. happy, and you're gonna fill time on my podcast. Yeah, the best comics in the world have not exactly not fill time. Um the best, <laughs> the best comics in the world have bombed. So it's like, yeah, everyone's done it. And it makes you I know it. Yeah, it makes you feel like you're part of the club. Yeah, exactly. I know uh, the first couple times I was on stage, I did really well. Like, I felt great the first time. Second night, I got compliments. Third time, fucking bombed. And then I went back the fourth time, and that's when I was like, oh, I really do need this in my life. Like, like there's no sane person who wants to walk into disappointment night after night. Right. But I was like, I need it. Like, I, this is my new drug. Yeah. 100%. Hundred <laughs> percent. Do you have aspirations to to get out of South Dakota, or I would like you know, to. Okay. Um, I just really don't. I'm not even sure where it would take me right now because everything pandemic's so messed up and everything. But I'd like to eventually move. But at the same time, I'd also like to help grow our scene in South Dakota more. You know, just kind of see yeah. what happens. Because uh, right now we're kind of big fish in a little pond, and sometimes it's kind of like depends on where I'd want to go and see if I want to get aspirations to be a little fish in a big pond. That's something I just want to keep performing and seeing what happens and make a living doing performing because uh, our doing pianos thing's going pretty well right now. Yeah, we're getting gigs in a pandemic. It's like, what the? <laughs> yeah, and like, and I think there's like, like my primary social income now is comedy. I mean, it, it was. So like, if you figure out a way to do it, like you, you don't need to live in New York City. You don't need to live in L.A. Uh, so as long as you can make money doing it and be happy, fuck it. Who cares yeah. where you live? Even if I live in Sioux Falls, I'd like to tour and just go all around, yeah. you know, that'd be fun. So when, when somebody, and maybe I'm sure people have left already, but like, where is the logical moving place for somebody in Sioux Falls? Like, is it Rochester? I mean, not Rochester. Is it Minneapolis or Denver? Right. Minneapolis, Denver, maybe Chicago. Probably one of the three. Okay. Uh, yeah. I have a buddy that moved to Minneapolis a year and a half ago. He actually does a, bo- a podcast about bombing. Uh, Dan Bublitz Jr. is his name. He, he's got a podcast called The Art of Bombing. So every single episode, he talks to a different comic about the times they bombed and what they learned from it. So it's pretty cool. That's um, awesome. So yeah, it's a it's a really good learning podcast for sure. But yeah, he moved to Minneapolis. I've got friends that live in uh, like Omaha, Lincoln, Nebraska. They've got a good scene there too. So it's kind of all over the place. Some people move to Nebraska, that kind of thing. No one moves to Montana. Uh, no. <laughs> I know like three or four comics from Montana, they're really nice guys, but it's like they say, yeah, we don't have a big scene here. It's like, whoa, not really shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Where would Helena? I mean, where else would you go? Missoula? No. What's that? I don't remember what town. Uh, Bozeman, I think. Montana. Oh, that's right. I I could only think of Helena. I don't even know if I said it right. Helena. (laughs) <laughs> oh, whatever. See, well, it doesn't matter. It's probably it's probably Helena. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I I don't know. I think uh, 
Oh, it's a, my chemical romance had a song, yeah. Helena. Helena, yeah, or Helena, Helena, whatever. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I it's don't care anymore. Song. It's a great song. You know, now I don't now I don't even like Montana. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I had a, I bought a ticket to Mike M's reunion tour that got delayed to September. God, I hope that show still happens. It's like <laughs> they've been gone for what, 12, 14 years, something like that. Well, they broke up in 2013. Okay. That's it. Okay. And then they got back together last year and they're like, yeah, we're going to go on this full fledged reunion tour. And then COVID happened. They're like, Oh, never mind." Like <laughs> For the longest time, I thought, the lead singer of My Chemical Romance, I, I forget his name now, but I thought he was Billy Corrigan's son. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I read a rumor, and then you see every video of My Chemical Romance, and he's pale as shit. Yeah. Just like Billy Corrigan was or is. Yeah. And I was like, maybe there's – and I, I did the math, and I don't think it worked out, but I was like, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. He's actually apparently a long-distance cousin, long-distance cousin of either Kevin Smith or Joe Rogan, one of the two. Really? Yeah. It's like, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think if I were any distant relative of uh, Kevin Smith, I'd investigate that and then be like, hey, uh, send me some Smodcast money. And, you know, (laughs) I I want a nicer house and let's get this worked out. You know, it's like a, you know, restitution for neglect. Yeah, I'm getting a new faux plan. Let's do this shit. (laughs) (laughs) So is there any, uh, do you have any signs for things to get back to, you know, quote unquote normal? We've just been kind of doing shows every week, once or twice a week. And whoever wants to come, we say, hey, if you feel safe, if you want to come to this, come to it. Uh, we do open mics every Wednesday in our in our city. And we also do some oddball ones and, and breweries and stuff, too. So we do that. Every weekend, we're doing a show on like a Saturday night. If it's a Minneapolis comic coming through or someone around the area, they'll headline. But yeah, we're, we're kind of just seeing what happens because I keep hearing that vaccines are going to be around sooner than we expect. So I don't know what's going to happen with all that. So you might as well start getting out the vaccines and the Dakotas. Yeah. That's, that's we're all, cause we're all not wearing them apparently. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw on Facebook, you, you got a, you just won a, a contest, right? Yeah. Boss's comedy boss's, boss's funniest comic of the month. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. Um, yeah, we do it once a month and uh, we got like three judges and we usually 10 to 15 comics compete. And so it was a lot of fun. I've won it about five or six times before, I think the last three or four years. So it's it's fun to bring out your A game and see what it's it's always so neck and neck because every comic crushes it, especially on competition nights. They put out their best material and uh, just see what happens. So it's it's a lot of fun. And we and we get a baseball trophy. <laughs> like do you have to give the trophy back? Yep, after Okay, okay. All right. This month. And one of my friends goes, I did some dirty shit with that trophy. <laughs> <laughs> I do a fantasy baseball league every year and I bought a trophy and uh, the trophy was damaged last year on route or whatever. But I, so I had to give my, my buddy, he won uh, a brand new one. Mm-hmm. And I think if I really could do it over, I would do some really dirty stuff to it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. the, you beat me pretty badly this year and you're going to pay like you're, <laughs> you're going to get some sort of airborne disease out of this. Yeah, Just put it in the landfill and just leave it there for a couple hours. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> So you get that trophy. Is there anything else? Like, is that like, do you get like a headlining prize or anything? Oh, we get $50 in gift certificates to bosses. So that pizza, it's a pizza restaurant. So you get 50 bucks worth of pizza or whatever you order. So that's pretty cool. And um, the owners of the club, Skylar and Luke, they already approached me about headlining in late January. So, so oh, nice. So we'll be doing that. So I'll be headlining in late January, I think. So I've headlined once at bosses last year. That was a lot of fun. That was kind of my true test. If I can headline and see how it goes. And I did about 50 to 55 minutes and it felt like five minutes. That's the best feeling in the world. If you can do an hour and it feels like nothing, no time had passed at all. Yeah, I equate it to I hit a home run in Little League and I didn't feel anything off the bat. Yeah. And, you know, that that's when you know you hit it well. It's like perfect. So when you have a set that goes all the way great, there's almost no feeling like it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I actually and I, had to, I had to cut like 20, 25 minutes out of the sex. I didn't want to drag. So I, knowing I could have done an hour and a half felt really good too at the same time. Jeez, that's pretty incredible. So I uh, It was fun. I think if I could find anybody who'd want to listen to me for an hour and you know a half, I don't know, I I, I might marry them, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got I to gotta take advantage of this situation and this poor soul because not one person should want to be around me more than 90 minutes. Right, yeah. <laughs> 
the same here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, dude, I, I had fun talking to you. Um, Likewise, man. Yeah. You know, it's a whole lot of fun. And I'm so beyond lucky that, that I got to meet somebody who's as into punk rock or probably more so than I am. Same man. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. I just, it's crazy. I didn't know. I didn't know South Dakota knew about punk rock, honestly. Some people, yeah, we have some punk bands in town. We've got a cool punk scene. But yeah, obviously, we're kind of taking a break because of COVID stuff right now. But we have a really cool record shop in our city called Total Drag. And we basically, it's like a 90 cap room. We have a lot of bands that are like slowly growing, but they're really fucking cool bands that play in this little record shop. And so we get like when those shows happen, everyone knows that these bands are going to be cool. So they fill up the record record store room and it's really cool to see. It's a very DIY all ages thing. So I, I really love that place. And it's a, it's like definitely a place that gives new bands the stage to perform and prove themselves. And I think it's really awesome. Yeah. Anytime I hear something like that happening in the punk scene out West and it's not LA, it's not, you know, San Diego or, or up in San Francisco. I always think like SLC punk Yeah, where, these guys are just traveling over Utah and into Wyoming. I think I think it's Wyoming and to get booze. And like I just think it's this desolate area where just these idiot kids are, are causing trouble. Yeah, and maybe that is the case. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we've got we've gotten so many cool bands come to town and play in that play in that store too. We've had like um, uh, Big Business, which is a couple guys from the Melvins played there. And it was just really, really cool. We had Titus Andronicus play there last year. So that was really cool. Just a lot of awesome groups coming to town, too. So it's very awesome. That's awesome, man. Well, dude, again, thank you so much for doing this. And you got social media to plug? Yeah, it's just uh, I, it's just Zach Dresch, so Z-A-C-H space D-R-E-S-C-H. I have a Facebook page there. I don't have a regular website yet. I'm working on that. But my Twitter handle is at Zach Dresch. Instagram is at ZA Dresch. So yeah, just regular Facebook, Instagram, Twitter accounts. So dude, I appreciate everything, man. This is a whole lot of fun talking to you and let's do it again. Absolutely, man. Let's make it happen. Thanks for having me on. This was a blast. No problem, man. I'll talk to you in a bit. Sounds good, man. Talk to you later. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. 